Realising the Ambition podcast. This episode is a continuation of the previous conversation with Marion Burns and Liz Patterson from Education Scotland and HMIE. Here we continue talking about um, transition, including what kind of information we might need. Um, We think about empowerment and keeping children at the centre of everything that we do. Um, And one of the things for me that just was so heartening is that at all points we start with the child in front of us and we are child-centred and led by their needs, which uh, makes me feel very lucky indeed to be part of Team ELC in Scotland. Um, Marion mentions a paper by John Hattie that he released on um, in April. It's called Visible Learning Effect Sizes When Schools Are Closed, What Matters and What Does Not. Um, and so if you Google that, you'll be able to see what she's talking about. At a couple of moments, the acronym SG is used, which is just Scottish Government. Um, The conversation picks up and we're talking around about the kinds of information that we need for successful transitions. Um, So on we go with Marion Burns and Liz Patterson. (laughs) To pick up on information sharing, um, it's really what you do with the information, I think, that's that's really critical. But it's also the quality of the information that you gather. I I think all too often we, we maybe think we've got to create great tools of information when there's nothing more valuable, I think, than that sitting down with a kind of face-to-face and, and uh-huh. talking. So that's why I think the collaboration and the partnership is really, really critical to all of this, uh, particularly when we have, you know, we've already touched on the fact that not all of the children will have had, a, you know, the same experience or a quality experience. So for them, we need to be really mindful and, I think, responsive to what their particular needs will be. Now, maybe that's then about working with other agencies and other professionals and thinking, well, what are the kind of supports that those children and their families are going to need? And who's going to know that until we actually have those children and families um, with us in our settings in whatever shape or form that takes? But I, I keep coming back to this uh, thing that staff often beat themselves up that they're maybe not working hard enough, doing enough, I can't really stress this enough that they are doing their very best and wanting to absolutely meet the needs of the children and the families they have in front of them. And yes, there's been a hiatus when the children haven't been there, but they can draw on their own professionalism Mm -hmm. to be able to think through what it is that they need to do, whether that's about adjusting the environment, adjusting their practice, thinking differently about the way they lay out resources, all of these things need to be done in close collaboration, but with the same shared end point, in, I think, in mind, which is we really want the very best for children when we, we receive them back into our settings. Absolutely, yeah. And I think too, that goes back to what we said earlier about that building resilience. Um, so it's building resilience of the child, it's also building resilience between and among one another. And it's certainly building resilience with the family. And this isn't new, but every time that a wee one comes to us, we're seeing a member of their family because of a drop-off in the collection. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, some it's an easy way to impart some information if information needs to be imparted. Yeah. It's an easy way to find out how things have been at home, 
So it's not all about the new, it's hanging on to the good things that we already do and that we can rely on and that we know that our staff do exceptionally well. I think that links back a little bit to what Lynn said in the first um, couple of episodes, and which was just about as long as you know your why, you've actually that's your you know that's your true star. So you can hang on to the things that really help you to um, embody your values, and and as long as you're informed about what that looks like. I was recently reading some of Hattie's work, uh, Bex, and what he was saying was that, and he uses the word skills, but I, I would extend that to settings. Um, can be hubs of response and recovery, places where children and young people and families can achieve togetherness. Mm-hmm. Hattie, he asserts that, um, that this is more important than achievement goals, things that we need to keep measuring, gaps that we need to keep filling, catching up that need, doesn't need to be caught. And so I think his, his words certainly send a message mm-hmm. that, you know, that kind of collective working together looking after each other, but thinking about those transitions and, and they, they are going to be transformational transitions. Mm-hmm. They're going to transform the way we work, the way we set out our environments and the way that we work with each other. And I think we need to be open to that and receptive. And my guess would be the people out there will be. I think we, we need to be very cautious around leaping back into somehow measuring our children and thinking how how far have they gone if we're going to be thinking about anything and trying to get qualitative assessment it's that professional judgment about where children are from the point of view of their social emotional um, mental health and well-being mm-hmm. and that's the starting point and so I think I really would be cautioning against somehow measuring them against you know uh, curricular areas, curriculum progress, because if we don't have those foundations with we've got happy, settled, secure children, mm-hmm. they are not going to be ready for a springboard into a different types of learning. So yeah. we're going to use play-based pedagogy as the approach to get a real sense of where children are, how well are they coming in and settling, um, what are the issues that parents are sharing with you. That's a big picture that we do need to kind of capture. How you go about that will be the usual way that we would find in early learning and childcare, which is about having discussions, important discussions with parents about their children. They, they know their children better than, than anybody. Uh, and I would say that about any parent really, because they, they're with them and yeah. we need to value that information. And then it's what you do with it. Uh, so it's not the time in class that matters, it's what you do with the time that's really going to be critical when children come to us. Yeah, that's such a, a, a reassuring message to hear because I think there already is a lot of anxiety amongst teachers particularly about, like we were talking about earlier, filling that gap, you know, feeling like they've got to catch people up. So that mess, you know, the messages from Hattie, the messages that they're hearing here around about that primacy of the health and well-being, get the basic stuff done first and do it properly for as long as you need. And you will know when you're able to start doing the other stuff. Um, and if it's done too soon, it will be detrimental to everybody. I think one of the supportive things in um, realising the ambition is the definition of the learning environment as being the totality of the experiences and interactions as well. And actually, that would be incredibly useful, not just for the early stages of primary school, but we, you know, we don't know what the new normal will look like. So actually, we might well need to consider the learning environment in a much more 
uh, creative way right up through to 18, do you know? Yeah. I think I think you're absolutely um, correct in that, uh, Bex. And I think the whole thing about being and promoting creativity and um, curiosity with young children, with us all, when the day that we all stop being creative and curious is, is going to be a bad day. Um, so it's really important to hang on to that and to expand that as much as we possibly can. And that's one of the things that our families can do, um, a child's family can do. Often maybe with a wee bit of direction from ourselves and moving ourselves or the, the ELC staff um, so that we can encourage creativity, so that we're not thinking that everything has got to be textbook learned. Mm. And that's really an important aspect to, uh, that we've tried in realising the ambition to um, expand on it a bit more. And uh, it's something that our hope is that it will be. Of course, with the current situation, we hope to be a bit further on. That, uh, as, as this is now nearly May, goodness. Um, but I think it will happen in time, and we just need to take our time to get those messages across and hope that we can reach out to people who really need to hear the, these these aspects of learning and how a young child learns and develops. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the, the questions I have around the transitioning will be, how can we still accommodate parents coming with children to school, with children coming from home into a setting? I mean, that would be part of the traditional view of learning together, uh, as, you know, becoming familiar with a, 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 a building, with the layout of the building. Using things like transitional objects, often children will bring that cuddly toy or the thing that really means something very important to them. So I think these are discussions we're going to, to really have to have and, mm -hmm. and to think, surely there, there must be ways around taking your child on those in, you know, induction meetings or that step into the, the new setting, whatever that is, and not leave them at the gate. Yeah. I, I really worry that we would go back to that kind of approach because I think the trauma for, for me um, would be a shared trauma that people mm -hmm. would say, how on earth can we really do this to children? How nurturing um, we have we always been to children mm -hmm. and it flies in the face of practice that we would in some ways sort of hand a child over without that settling without that you know embrace uh, and to be able to say you're here you can stay as long as you like till yeah. your child's settled yeah that and that's going to be a big challenge i think one of the ways that i've started thinking about things is in terms of evaluating using the well-being indicators because actually that's a really um, useful framework but it's also really familiar but for everybody staff children and families they need to feel all eight of those things and we need to consider how as a local authority or how as a setting we can support that feeling of safety being included and um, those kind of things so yeah it's it's a, a strange tight rope to walk <laughs> The safe element of those well-being indicators is, is clearly going to be the one that sits 
it starts us all off, doesn't it? Yeah. Safe and achieving and so on. I think hard conversations are going to be had around that. And I know, Jason Leach, we alluded to that earlier, about getting outside and still being able to practice safe um, encounters with children. Mm -hmm. So maybe we do need to adopt some of our Scandinavian neighbours' practice and, and focus a lot on the outdoors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could foresee that whilst you're coming into uh, an environment that is the outdoors environment, that, that might be easier to manage when you're doing the dropping off and the settling in, because there's maybe the space is bigger. Mm -hmm. But then you'll have others who'll come and say, but my outdoor space is round the corner and or I don't have one and it's not big enough. So it may, it may present a solution for some that it's not going to be the panacea uh, and, you know, be the consistent um, approach. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, big questions around how we deal with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think right now we have the answers, to be honest. Um, you, can, you can see situations of um, the, the usual coming in, the cloakroom, the busy cloakrooms, etc. Yeah. We may have to really reconsider how that's done. Um, also, uh, I think we've got to bear in mind things are the numbers of children coming might be smaller, likely yeah. to be smaller. I don't know how that's going to work out in practice yet. Um, I think there's another issue attached to that is if, if our children are coming on an, in, a kind of intermittent basis, albeit a regular intermittent basis, um, how is that affecting family life? How is that affecting mm -hmm. parents going back to work? There's there's a huge myriad of consequences to um, some of these simple actions that we are we're so used to not even thinking about, yeah. and we're now going to have to uh, really put our thinking hats on and try to get a solution. Outdoors, there would certainly be um, the key morning. I think you're absolutely correcting that if there's an opportunity for children to be um, welcomed outside and handed back safely outside that might reduce a bit of risk doesn't reduce them all uh, we just have to think really carefully and take advice mm -hmm. perhaps from how the hubs have been doing that in the most recent weeks and to see if there's something there that we can build on and um, and uh, and take and take forward. Yeah. I wonder if some of the solutions actually are sitting out there with practitioners and teachers, because we need to tap into that wealth of um, of thinking, mm -hmm. depth of thinking. When I look now and I see so many practitioners taking on board rebellion practice. Mm -hmm. Um, looking to Reggio uh, Amelia for some of the philosophy that sits there and you'll find some of that obviously in the last section of uh, realising the ambition and how we can learn from, from other world curricula and approaches. Uh, I was very fortunate to spend a wee bit of time in New Zealand and they do have really well developed outdoor spaces and when you were looking at the you know adults engagement they weren't always physically always beside children. Yeah. Children are often engaged and engrossed in their own play so much. So it's not that they don't need adults, they do. But 
I think we could find ways around that. And so we can go out to the sector, we can go out to practitioners and say, how do you think we yeah. could fix this? How do you think we might approach this? And really, you know, capture all of that really good thinking that goes on on a daily basis about me and which, what makes some of the practice really exceptional. That, I think, also builds confidence, doesn't it? Because it, you feel like you're part of the discussion then and that, you know, you can, that it, it, Team ELC, that's <laughs> hashtag Team ELC. Um, and to, to expand on what you were saying, Marion, about the, the experience in New Zealand, certainly for our um, forest kindergartens, I've spent a few days um, in the various sites around Edinburgh and the independence and um, self-assuredness of the children there is something to behold. And it is that, you know, they, they know they are secure and they are safe and settled. They know the adults are there, but it's almost they quite like the distance they they can go if they need them but otherwise they actually want to be left um to explore and to get on with things again is to go back to this notion of um collaboration and empowering people mm -hmm. I, for me i think that is one another concept that's really important we maybe should also be asking the children themselves and giving them agency yeah so you know they can be very solution focused I mean, many's the time, you know, I, I've observed children, you know, from a distance, not didn't think about it at the time as needing to be a safe distance, but from a distance and to intervene in their solution focused approach would mm -hmm. have really destroyed a lovely piece of learning, you know, and that learning from each other. So, it, you know, if we were using that sort of um, child centered approach, we would be saying to them, how do you think we could achieve some of these transition issues that are facing the big people yeah. who don't seem to be able to know how to sort it? How do you think you might manage? And I think we could be blown away by the power of their thinking. Yeah. Because they are tremendous. They, they never fail to amaze me um, in, in the way in which they encounter things that the adult just doesn't see. Yeah. And I think we can see that in, in lots of different ways that we've, we've had experience of before. So yes, it might be a really, it is a really good idea to get voices of parents, children, and practitioners to try to come to this solution. There obviously is an acknowledgement from SG that um, there's a recognition that it's going to be much more difficult for younger children mm -hmm. in many ways, um, but. It's also a recognition that they understand how young children learn yes. and how they play and that we can't just stop that because that's how that's them being me. And that's what the important thing about all of what we're trying to say about realising the ambition is, is taking it from the child's point of view. So yes, let's ask them. Let's get those solutions to those really tricky questions and let's do it quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Lovely. Um, that seems like quite a nice way to round off. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to say thank you very much um, to both of you for your time. And gosh, Marion, we were hardly beset with any technical issues this time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the last time was interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Goodness. Ever so much, Bex, for asking us to come. Thank mm -hmm. you.